Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good insert your relevant time zone. We are live for another Tech Off Topic. Uh, you know that wonderful podcast where we talk random junk around tech, go tangential, come back to the original topic, and then say goodbye. Um, this week, I am, have the pleasure of inviting somebody who happens to have worked in the same place as me just after I did. Uh, so I... I get to ask a few questions about that stuff, as well as he is in a very interesting industry at the moment. Um, so I'm going to drag in Matt and let him introduce himself. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hi, everyone. How you so, doing there? Uh, the, the, the world is quiet today, but uh, eh, that's what uh, uh, that's them's the breaks. Yeah. So feel free to introduce yourself so that everybody knows who the heck you are and what the heck you do. Sure. Uh, yeah. So my name is Matt Hamilton. Um, I'm currently the director of developer relations at a company called Ripple. That's a fintech company um, based in the US, so headquartered in San Francisco, although I'm based uh, here in the, the lovely, um, slightly damp UK. Um, and yes, as you kind of mentioned at the start there, uh, we both worked at IBM at slightly different times. So I was a developer advocate at IBM just before joining Ripple. I've been at Ripple now for about two months, but I've been involved in uh, the XRP community. XRP is something we're going to uh, talk about, the X XRP ledger. And um, I've been involved with XRP for the last sort of four years or so um, in the XRP community for about four years. Ah, there we go. Now I've fixed my audio. One thing I always forget to check at the beginning because it seems to work and it, it's because I have multiple <laughs> microphones on this damn machine. Yeah, I've done the same thing, kind of gone live and it's decided to pick up the speakers and use them as a microphone for some reason or, or something like that. Oh, oh, technology, what a boon. Um, that's, you joined um, a few months after I left IBM, uh, not very long afterwards. I'm going to ask, did you join as part of the, the Cloudant DB side of things or part of the Watson data platform and all the blockchain crap that, that IBM was trying to sell? No, I was, I was part of Cloudant. So this is the link between Cy Metzen, myself, and, and, and you, uh, I believe. So um, I joined as part of actually not Cloudant, but Compose, which was a sister kind of division uh, within IBM. Compose was an acquisition that IBM acquired, um, originally called Mongo HQ, and they were a, like a MongoDB in the cloud provider, and then they branched out and started doing all sorts of other databases, and then got uh, acquired by IBM, and they hosted about sort of 12, I think it was, um, databases, open source databases, so everything, you know, Postgres, Redis, etcd, um, yeah. sort of database-like things like um, Elasticsearch and and uh, stuff like that, yeah. Uh, in in the cloud, uh, between that and um, some cheapy containers, you could do a lot of damage. And by damage, I mean build some really random stuff. Because I did, yeah, yeah. So they, I mean, what was what was amazing was that the that Compose had built an entire kind of orchestration containerization system for databases um, many years ago before they got acquired by IBM. Um, and it was a, a, a thing called Gru um, as, a, as a reference to uh, Despicable Me, Gru, and the, and the little workers were called Minions. And uh, that kind of orchestrated their whole platform. It was, it was built on LXC on Linux still. 
and uh, kind of did everything that the likes of, say, Kubernetes does before Kubernetes kind of existed. And they had a whole sort of database orchestration system. And then they um, uh, kind of started to, when they got bought by IBM, uh, they then sort of went through a, 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 like a tech kind of um, refresh, move on, whatever you want to call it, the next generation. And so it started to move it onto Kubernetes and onto IBM's Kubernetes uh, service. So I was there for about two years in that division, kind of working in the in the infrastructure team, EU infrastructure team. And then I switched over to developer advocacy and was normally a part of the uh, what's called the London City team. And uh, I was, uh, you know, working for them, um, meant to be going to meetups and events and all this kind of stuff. But I started literally in March. I went to the London office once. Uh, I went up there on the train. Um, I'd even bought myself a, a nice new backpack for like carting stuff up and down to London because it was like I'm going to go up to London every day, every um, week. So I bought myself a nice like back secure backpack with a you know kind of hidden hidden compartment in you can't open it and get pickpocketed and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I got all of this like ready. I was like right, you know, start this new thing. And I went up there once, and then uh, and then lockdown kicked in, and that was the end of that. And uh, so by the time I left, just uh, almost exactly a year later. Uh, I still hadn't met some of the people I worked with, um, kind of in, in in that year. I still hadn't met some of them face to face from the from the London team. Oh lord, I know how that feels. Um, uh, yeah, I did very much so. I started my last job uh, in the February. Went over for a week of onboarding. Met half the people I needed to meet because the other half were the US. Went to my first event. Got COVID at the event. Right. So I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that means how long have you been working at uh, as uh, head of DevRel for uh, Ripple Dev? Uh, two months. Two months? Oh, not even. Actually, no, not even two months. No, no. Um, when did I start? Start of, uh, yeah, start of February, so two months. Two months. Now I'm, try and I'm tr just trying to work out the, so I understand how the logical career progression goes from advocate to head of department of advocacy. <laughs> That, that bit makes complete sense. How do you go from being somebody interested in, because you said you're in, uh, interested in and have been in and around uh, the Ripple and the XRP community mm. for four years. How does that marry up? Because normally the crypto people are crypto people and they're not exactly engineers. Okay, so what, I mean, what happened was, um, so I was working for a, a startup in uh, based in LA uh, remotely that were, making a health and fitness and nutrition tracking app. I was working for them for a couple of years, actually leading their um, mobile app development team. So leading their iOS and Android team, um, uh, building that. And they then all of a sudden, uh, one November Thanksgiving weekend, pulled the plug. They'd run out of money, and, and that was it. Kind of everybody off, sorry. So that kind of came came to an end quite quickly. So whilst I was looking around for like the next thing to do, I, I wanted to kind of try and hone my skills a little bit. And I'd always avoided JavaScript since like the, the, the very early web days of JavaScript. And I, uh, you know, I've been a Python programmer for sort of 20 odd years, um, generally disliked JavaScript. And I thought, okay, well, let's, let's try this Node.js thing, this new newfangled Node.js thing. Come on, you know, granddad, let's get with the picture here and try it out. <laughs> and so uh, I, I, I started playing around with it and I was like, okay, I want to learn, sort of async programming. And my, my choice was, I, I narrowed it down to, okay, I'm either going to use Node.js or I'll use Swift and PromiseKit, which is what we've been using in the 
uh, one of the, the, the mobile apps we've been working on. And so I was going to kind of get my feet wet with that and actually dive into that. And uh, I, I went for Node.js. And as it happened, one of my former colleagues, uh, Scott, had given me some XRP, some cryptocurrency, kind of as a, as a thank you for letting him mine Bitcoin in the office. And uh, <laughs> he, he was <laughs> that like, sounds yeah, dodgy as heck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, we got we got free electricity, and he was he was kind of running. This is kind of before mining rigs became you know huge country dominating you know mm. huge great big things. But anyway, um, he used to mine Bitcoin, and then with all of the successive kind of iterations of everything trying to get faster and faster and trying to keep up with that, he he decided that this was a fool's game. Kind of got out of that sold his bitcoin bought xrp and anyway he gave me a little bit of xrp and said it's you know it's not worth anything maybe one day it'll be worth enough to put a deposit on a car anyway i kind of remembered this and um i had looked up and seen that that uh, ripple had produced a library called ripple lib to access the xrp ledger via javascript mm -hmm. and so i thought okay well this is my chance to kind of have a play around with this you know node.js stuff and so I was like, okay, and I, and I discovered that within the XRP ledger, it's got a built-in decentralized exchange. You can actually buy and sell currencies on the decentralized exchange built into the blockchain. Now, this time, I didn't really know a huge amount about blockchains. I knew what Bitcoin was. I knew roughly how proof of, proof of work worked. I, I, I kind of knew a bit about um, you know Bitcoin at that point. Um, XRP was was kind of new to me. The idea, the concept of a decentralized exchange, I didn't kind of really get. But on the other hand, I didn't not get because it's kind of like when, when you have a little kid and they don't know what you can't do, they just go ahead and do it. I was just like, okay, decentralized exchange, great, fine, and and didn't sort of realize necessarily the significance of kind of what that was within the XRP ledger. But I was able to buy and sell euros and dollars and yen, um, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, etc., XRP on this decentralized exchange, you know, programmatically. And so I started writing something to try and buy and sell. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this would make, make money. This is at the sort of tail end of 2017. And um, XRP, the price of XRP had, had shot up to near its all-time high. Bitcoin was rocketing up as well. And this thing was starting to do quite well, actually, and, and actually make money. And, and my thinking was, well, do I need to actually go and get a job? Or can I just let this thing make money? And I'm just going to go and retire and sit on a yacht. Um, and anyway, the price then started to come crashing down again. And my wife said to me, well, no, you, you've kind of got to go and get a proper job. Otherwise, you'll just be sat on the sofa in your pants all day doing nothing, right? Um, so uh, I started looking around. And I actually contacted Ripple. And I wrote to them and said, you know, I've not seen any kind of developer advocacy type efforts you do or community manager or anything. Would you be interested in, in, in hiring for that kind of role? By the way, I'm based all the way over in the UK. But, you know... Um, would you be interested in, in in hiring for that role? And I didn't hear anything back from them. I'd, I'd actually done quite a lot of that. I'd been sort of before all of this stuff, I'd, I'd worked a lot with an open source community called Plone, which is an open source content management system in Python. Um, people have heard of things like WordPress and Drupal. Plone is very similar to that, but kind of a more sort of enterprise level um, thing written in Python. And I'd organized conferences, um, done like dev days, hackathons, all that kind of thing. So the, the kind of things that developer advocates do, right? Mm -hmm. um, stuff on, you know, help on mailing lists. I'd, I'd actually sat on the board of directors of the Plone Foundation. I was actually the president of the Plone Foundation at one point. Um, oh, yeah. um, so, you know, the, the idea of this kind of developer advocacy role that I'd started to hear about, it's like, oh, you can actually get paid to do this kind of stuff. I'd, I'd been doing it kind of for free in an open source community. 
and then I didn't realize it was an actual job. So anyway, I wrote to Ripple. Um, I didn't hear anything back from them. Um, was wondering, you know, still what to do. And as Charles would have it, I saw a tweet from Simon Metzen saying, um, hey, we're, look, we're looking to hire. And funnily enough, I'd met Simon about 10 years prior at a Python conference, um, Euro Python conference actually in Birmingham, and started chatting to him there. We're both from Bristol. Um, he was working at the University of Bristol, well, working at CERN based at the University of Bristol. And we kind of got chatting over, over um, dinner. And we kind of started following each other on Twitter. And randomly, he posted a picture of his local dog walk, and I could see my house um, in it. And I was like, okay, so clearly we obviously live very near each other as well. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, he he posted that they were looking to to hire at Compose um, and uh, at IBM, and I'd never really considered working for a for a large company. Or at that time, I'd always worked for startups or worked for my own company. I'd run my own company for about fifteen years. A company called Netsite um, here in Bristol for about fifteen years. We're you know web development agency, and. Um, yeah, I was at like, IBM. Well, that's a huge, great big company, but let's let's give it a shot. My mum had actually worked at IBM back in the 60s and 70s and uh, I'd always said it was a good company. And so I thought, okay, well, we'll, well, I'll give it a shot then. So anyway, I applied and got interviewed by various people at, at, at IBM and, and got the job to work, um, nothing to do with developer advocacy, but to work on their database team, uh, lead their EU database team, which was Kind of similar to the role I had previously at the startup, which was leading the mobile dev team. This is leading the, the, the database engineering mm. team. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the the original sort of plan there. Various restructurings happened and, and things happened and, you know, sort of moved around a little bit there. Um, and then a chance encounter with somebody in the office there, a woman called Marguerite, who is a data scientist, who is a developer uh, advocate. Indeed, you, you yeah, you probably met Marguerite. And uh, she joined after I did. Uh, well, she um, she joined about six months into it, and she came and going. I'm from academia. I don't get how this company thing works. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But anyway, I got I got chatting to her, and uh, she'd said to me about, "Hey, there's this this uh, DevRel role uh, going on. Would you be interested in it?" And I was like, "Yeah." Um, so that's that's how I kind of moved from the the, the engineering the the infrastructure team, at Cloudant or, or Compose to um, the the UK kind of DevRel team. And I was mainly working on machine learning stuff. And I kind of got into, I had an interest in machine learning and uh, I kind of got into that. Um, oh, and one, one of the bits I, I missed out is when I was writing this like trading bot that was kind of doing stuff on the XRP ledger, uh, I actually then went, some of the profits of that made actually uh, paid for me to do a FinTech course at Oxford University. Uh, the side business school, uh, and so I went and did that fintech course, thinking that okay, let's let's maybe go into this as a as a um, you know as a job. And then, like I said, the markets came crashing down. The thing that was making money no longer started making money, and uh, I then joined IBM, worked there for a while. So was 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 happily working there, and then I saw a tweet from somebody who worked at Ripple saying, "Hey, we're looking for a director of." developer advocacy and i kind of I, I sort of vaguely knew them from from twitter we do exchange a, a few tweets backwards and uh, and forwards and um i uh, i sort of tweeted back and said well hey yeah but you know the the uk is enough of a basket case i don't want to move to the us right now uh and he replied back saying well you know we're an international company and we might hire elsewhere and i was like ah oh, okay interesting and so i started this conversation this was about 
I can't remember now, September time or so in, in, the, in the year. And then kind of the conversations went further and uh, eventually I ended up working for them this coming February, uh, the February just passed. So, uh, yeah, that's the, that is a uh, rather random route into a job. <laughs> was unemployed, <laughs> decided to play with crypto, got another job and then randomly ended up back there. Um, what, what's strange because of my well hobbies is, I was doing before all of the jobs. Yeah. And, and what is weird is that there's, because I've been quite vocal in the XRP community and quite vocal on, on places like Twitter and on the message boards and stuff, quite a few people within Ripple knew of me before I joined. And they're like, oh, it's great that you're coming and joining us. And it, it, it was kind of this this uh, sort of strange feeling kind of coming in there um, to see what was going on. And that there'd actually been, like, I, I found some documents about, you know, people in, in, in the industry that know what they're talking about. My name was on it, actually, <laughs> which was quite weird to see, kind of seeing that. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's got to be a little bit meta before you it even It is matters. a bit meta, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bit meta. It was both flattering and disconcerting at the same time. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, I'm going to ask a question now because you put yeah. this one at the top, and I was actually looking at the question just and going, you know, I actually don't know because – You've put in the question, difference between Ripple and the XRP ledger. Yeah. So I know XRP is the short form name representation for the currency itself, the yeah. actual coin token. Well, is it called a coin or a token in Ripple land? Uh, probably I'd say a coin. Okay. And I know what a ledger is from the principle of uh, how the ledger works as the uh, means of record for all, well, not all, but most blockchain technologies. Right. What? Yeah, well, that's a point. What the heck is the difference between Ripple? I thought XRP so, was a Ripple. So it's it's a little bit confusing because things have changed name over over the over the time, and and um, yeah, it can be a little confusing. The general accepted kind of usage at the moment is Ripple is the name of the company, and the XRP ledger is um, the the open source ledger that they use. So okay. it's a bit like if you think of. Um, you know, uh, you have say Red Hat or IBM as as the as the company, and you have Red Hat Enterprise Linux or Linux as the as the as the kind of product, the the open source product. Right. So, so it's Ripple more like is the a open core principle. Yeah, kind of ex exactly, sort of open core principle. Now, the original creators of the XRP ledger went on to form the company Ripple. So it's created originally, kind of got all up and running, and then they were like, okay, well, let's form a company. So which is it, it, the odd thing being is that's a very, very typical story in tech, right? And I mm. imagine it was probably the same thing that started companies like, I don't know, Elastic that happened to have, you know, Elastic and Elastic Search, the product, right? There's there's two things that are kind of named the same, but one is a company, one is a product. Um, and I imagine, I don't actually know the history of it, but I'd imagine that they, they kind of built something because well, this was cool and then built a company to kind of offer services around that as a monetization model. And yeah. that's and kind of what when the others did that as well, didn't they? Which which one? HashiCorp. Yeah, did exactly, exactly. They, controls and then went. Oh, we now need a mechanism to actually manage and control and pay for everything. Yeah, Mongo as well. You know, yeah. I think probably a similar thing. There's a lot, especially within the databases type industry. There's there's you know people will generate a piece of software and then they will create a company to provide services around that so development services professional services you know support etc cetera, etc cetera, around it so that's kind of a similar model they created this thing called the xrp ledger that they got up and running which is this decentralized blockchain and then they created a company now 
where it differs slightly from, say, a, a, a database company is there is a currency involved, right? And so mm. when when the XRP ledger was created by the original founders, there was a hundred billion XRP nominally created, and it was al almost an arbitrary number. I mean, it was it was picked to be not too small, not too big in the grand scheme of the world, and representable in a sixty-four bit integer and you know things like that. But it was, an, it was sort of a nominal amount, mm. right? Because it had no value. Right, Bitcoin was a year or two old, probably worth about a dollar at the time. Um, the, these developers were Bitcoin developers that created the XRP ledger. They originally had, had worked on you know Bitcoin and contributed to Bitcoin Core and early kind of Bitcoiners, and uh, you know they they kind of created this thing. And there was this bunch of XRP that wasn't really worth anything. And actually, the the what's called the Genesis Wallet, where it was created, was open, and anybody could take some XRP from it because uh, what well it wasn't worth anything so if you think back in the time now you know um why would you know if you suddenly create a you know mike token or something and, and create a cryptocurrency called mike and it's it off off the top of the bat it's not worth anything right so why wouldn't you give me a thousand mike or ten thousand mike or a hundred thousand mike if they're not worth anything then 10 is as worth the same as a hundred is worth the same as a thousand right hang on does that mean it was crypto swag yeah effectively <laughs> effectively and so it was it was it was kind of it was anybody could take it and so they they took a large proportion about 80 percent of it, 80 billion xrp to put into they handed over to this company to then kind of um monetize and and, and help build some kind of commercial case around it and um kind of build an ecosystem you know help build an ecosystem and kind of it it grew from there really and so ripple is is now a about 500 employee company that deal a lot with financial services so they kind of pivoted a number of years back originally the idea was that um it would be direct person to person um you know transactions and people would, mm. would make payments directly to each other then for various reasons they switched over to uh working with banks and and instead of working at the at the effectively the user interface la layer let's let's go down to the the lower levels right rather than trying to get you to use this new thing called cryptocurrency um let's instead get your bank to be able to use it and then you just continue using your 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 standard means of payments and behind the scenes hopefully things then go a bit quicker and a bit smoother um using that so that's kind of what they were ripple were working on working on specifically um international remittances international bank transfers because these things take you know three to seven days cost you you know a, a pretty penny if you've ever done something like you know any, any large transaction like buy a house overseas or, or or some property or anything like that then you know you're looking at hundreds possibly thousands of pounds just in bank fees oh, there to are make reasons services like TransferWise exist yeah exactly and, and and TransferWise didn't exist back then right um yeah. and so they they kind of built a, you know, Ripple started to build a, a system to help transfer uh, value backwards and forwards because it was this kind of, um, the, the CEO, now CEO Brad Garlinghouse kind of has this kind of famous sort of phrase in which he sort of talks about that, you know, if you want to get some money from here to Sydney, still the quickest way, COVID not with, you know, withstanding, is, is withdraw it from the bank, stick it in a suitcase and fly to Sydney, right? And hand it over. That's still probably the quickest way you're going to transfer money um, internationally. And so the idea was to kind of let's 
let's you know make it as easy to move money as we can move information right we can stream a video from the from the international space station yet i still can't easily pay you and you're you know a uh, hundred miles away from me or whatever right um so that was kind of their goal was to try and improve international remittances that was the bit that they were the ripple were kind of focused on and using this decentralized ledger xrp as as, as a way of uh, the xrp ledger and xrp is a way to 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 help do that okay that makes sense and then you've brought up something which uh well you've brought up the fact that um ripple had its coins pre-generated there was a predefined amount sort of more like um a gold standard in normal real world current well technically all of it all currency is freaking digital these days but uh in the terms of ye olde definitions it is a gold standard there is a set amount it has a pre-provided pre value and you can't overinflate the market by just dumping a whole bunch of extras in well, the, the value only comes from what people value it as. Like I said, it started with no value because, you know, nobody saw any value of it. And it was only when it started to become sort of tradable on exchanges. And it's now on about three or 400 exchanges worldwide that you can trade it, that it started to gain a value, that people started to perceive a value in it. People started to use it for, for actual real world projects, um, that it started to actually get a value there and the reason why ripple use it is that they so the, the the current many people are not quite aware of how international payments work and it's a it's a kind of a very convoluted system quite an archaic old system where if i want to send some money to say you know australia then what will generally happen is my bank and the australian bank will have a relationship pre-existing relationship and my bank will have some funds pre-deposited at the Australian bank, and the Australian bank will have some funds, funds pre-deposited at my bank. And so what happens is when I instruct my bank to make a payment to a customer at the Australian bank, what the Australian bank does is they basically move some of that pre-deposited funds from my bank's bank account to the customer's bank account at that end, right? So it's- it, Right. Um, big, and the reason being is because you know, if, if you go back to banknotes and gold coins and whatever, right, you, you, well, you couldn't just in time move that value, right? So you yeah. have to have some prearranged value already there that you can transmit. Now, so every so often that's going to need rebalancing because the, the payments that go from the UK to Australia might be different to the payments going the opposite direction. And you have to have enough of a float at either end. If we're talking technical terms, it's kind of like how much cash do you have? How much buffer do you have at either end, right? What's what's the buffer space for, you know, and if you're making lots of payments, you possibly need, you know, a larger buffer space because you've got, you know, a large number of payments going through or they're taking a longer amount of time. You need more buffer space. And the idea of XRP is, um, in, in for Ripple's use case is to use XRP to uh, transmit that value instantaneously, right? So rather mm -hmm. than have to pre-deposit funds at the other end, then what I can, what, what, what with Ripple's technology, what it does is the bank in the UK effectively buys XRP dynamically, sends the XRP to Australia, it's sold for Sydney, uh, for Australian dollars, and then deposited at the other end. And all of that happens in under a minute, right? So it's this it's this kind of high-speed way of, of moving value around using 
this token as the kind of the bearer of value. That's what they. Uh, that's 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 what they Ripple are using it for. Okay, that makes sense. It does seem a bit flipped based upon the original um, arguments for um, decentralized currencies, so Ethereum, Bitcoin, etc., where it's like we can remove the banking institutions from here. Money is now right. accessible to all. Yeah, but I also understand the practical point of like this is actually solving a real world problem. Exactly, and it's, and it's not for average people. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's not actually, you know, flipping the original theory. I mean, the original. So the whole idea of okay, let's get rid of the the, the banks and the banking system and replace it with Bitcoin, for example, which is what a lot of like Bitcoin sort of what are called Bitcoin maximalists. Their view is that Bitcoin's the only thing. That's what we're going to use. We're going to you know burn the banks and just have Bitcoin, right? Um, now a lot of that is a is a fairly simplistic for you because when you say banks well there's all sorts of banks right there's the there's the big banks there's the little banks there's a you know if you go to buy a house you, you're going to probably want a bank or a banking provider or a mortgage provider to lend you some money to 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 buy the house right now there's I'd going prefer to be just giving the house what's that i prefer them just give me the house oh yeah indeed um and there's 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 financial institutions like that building up in decentralized ways on on the blockchain to be able to do that to do loaning and all this kind of stuff but the the, the concept of say a bank is still going to exist in some form or another right i mean hmm. is is coinbase a bank right they're they're an exchange they're a wallet provider um you know a lot of people say store their cryptocurrency with them is that any different than you know storing your pounds sterling at NatWest Bank or, or whatever, right? Um, so yes, the kind of this this utopia that I think, you know, sort of Bitcoin sort of came up with in terms of kind of completely get rid of banks is uh, not very pragmatic. And kind of Ripple's approach was, well, everybody uses banks. So let that's where the value is. So let's try and interconnect the banks and everybody else in a much fairer way, right? There's, there's no... Um, you know, some some great big bank using the XRP ledger has no greater or lesser authority than me as an individual using the XRP ledger, right? So it, it's kind of getting them onto the blockchain is not a case of kind of the blockchain kind of bowing to them. It's the other way around. It's them kind of bowing to the rules of, of the blockchain, so to speak. Okay. Right, now here's, here's one that I put in that I'm actually curious about because I... Um... I don't understand how this applies to Ripple. Uh, right. So everybody in the world is very well aware of what proof of work is because it's the yeah. reason why the news is going crazy over GPU mining. Uh, well, GPU and CPU shortages, primarily yeah. GPUs, uh, energy usage in China and the fact that, uh, was it 80% of their primary coal usage is being used on crypto currently? In any given day, it's scary figures. I don't know. I, I don't know the exact figure of coal usage, but I know it's scary. Scary yeah, figures the amount of energy that's used by by Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, and that and that is all because of the proof of work methodology behind yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. And proof of stake is different in the fact that it's you show ownership over uh, an amount of coin already produced. So this is yeah. the model that Ethereum is going to next. Yeah, the the next major version release. It they're transitioning it. Yeah, if I remember correctly. So the coin that has been generated, they're going to stop prov uh, providing as much value for the work done and the work put into, and so the value of it is the amount you own at that time at the point of transition. Yep. 
but Ripple had all its coin generated up front. At one point, it was given away for free for no apparent reason, as far as I can tell, of the fact that it existed. And funnily enough, there's, there's, there is actually a connection to our old employer, IBM. So Ripple mm. and IBM at one point ran a joint project called Computing for Good, and they actually gave away XRP for, for usage of your CPU in terms of solving problems. So do you remember things like SETI at home and folding at home and yeah. all of those kind of services? It was very similar to that. And you actually could get paid XRP for using your CPU, not for mining things like Bitcoin, but for actually doing useful work in, in, in trying to find the cure for cancer or whatever it was they were working on, right? Um, oh, nice. So there, there was actually a connection there, which was quite interesting. That's actually, that's, that's actually like, here, have something that doesn't have a huge amount of value, but we're actually giving something back to you for the effort you've put into helping, yeah. the, uh, the, helping the world, yeah. for lack of a better word. Yeah. So, okay. so how does XRP work? Ledger work here? Yeah, exactly. How do they all work? Okay, so let's let's rewind a little bit. What is the problem we're trying to solve here, right? Mm. So the whole problem that cryptocurrencies try to solve is the ability for two people to transact without the need of a trusted third party, right? So if I send you some value, now remember, this is all digital. So when I send you mm -hmm. something, all it is is a series of bits. It's ones and zeros that I send you. And, and that ones and zeros represents the equivalent of a 20 pound note, right? And I send that to you. How do we ensure that that I can't just keep copying that and sending it to everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Or if I send it to you, you can't copy it and duplicate it and say, hey, look, I've deposited again and again and again and again. And this same 20 pound note suddenly becomes 20 million, right? Um, how how do we solve that problem? Now, typically, the way it's been solved with, with banking networks is there is a central database, a central ledger that has everybody's balance in, right? So if I make a payment to you, my payment provider, card, wallet app, whatever, contacts us some central database and says, send this amount of money from Matt's account to Mike's account. And then um, any other transaction will subsequently see that as well on that central database and go, okay, yeah, that, you know, that I've got 20 pounds less, right? And if I go into it so so i go into a shop with my debit card i make a hundred pound purchase i then immediately run next door and make another hundred pound purchase right i can't i can't spend that hundred pounds twice right it gets recorded on a central database it's an atomic operation um if i spend that hundred pounds it's a hundred pounds comes off my bank account balance um and if i'm down to zero or down to the bottom of my overdraft or whatever then i can't spend anymore mm -hmm. That works fine if you've got this central authority that we all trust, the bank, right, or the, or the central banking network. The idea behind originally with Bitcoin is how can we do this in a peer-to-peer -peer way without relying on a central authority, without having a bank that can deal with it? Because the, the big problems being is the banks can inflate the money supply, they can seize the money, they can, you know, they, they, they're basically in control of it because they're the custodians of your, of your funds. So yeah. how can we do this in a peer-to-peer -peer way? And the kind of the innovation within Bitcoin was a thing called proof of work. And the way that proof of work works is you have a, uh, you have a chain of uh, you have the blockchain, a chain of blocks. What it is, is a, is a set of transactions. Um, and each kind of group of transactions uh, follows the other one and is linked with a, a hash of the previous one. It's a set of records, each linked to each other in a, in a, yeah. a long linked list. And every 10 minutes, in the case of block, uh, Bitcoin, roughly average 10 minutes, a new block gets created and added to the end of this list. And with that, 
is is added a hash of the previous block that's come before it. So you've yeah. got this list in which you can't modify anything in it because if you do, the hashes would suddenly all become invalid, right? Yeah. So the question is, who gets to add to the end of that list? Now, the way that proof of work works, simplifying slightly, is you have a kind of competition. And if you imagine everybody, um, I don't know, filling in Sudoku puzzles, right? You give everybody a Sudoku puzzle and you say, okay, you all fill in these Sudoku puzzles, puzzles and whoever completes this first is, gets the right to determine which transactions go in the block, right? Mm -hmm. So all the transactions are all broadcast to the network and then this, this whoever basically solves this puzzle first gets a chance to look at the, 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 the backlog of transactions and pick the ones out of it and, and say, that's the next block. Right, and those are the ones that go in there. So, because you've only got one entity doing that at a time, whoever won that, you know, competition effectively, uh, that's how you solve the, the 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 deal with conflicts. Because you've got one entity, and it's 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 a central entity in a way, but it's a central entity for ten minutes, and then yeah. another one effectively chose another one, right? And uh, the the way these you know solving these puzzles works is they have to complete a um, algorithmic task in this case it's it's finding a hash um, that oh sorry finding the input to a hash that produces a particular result so in the case of blockchain it's uh, in the case of bitcoin it's like okay um, what input can I give to this hash function that gets me a number that comes out with a certain number of zeros at the start right and you've got to keep trying that it's a it's a um you know just a repetitive mundane task that the cpu just goes through trying every single combination until it finds one that works right and that's how they they, they effectively pick who's going to choose the blocks there and it has a it has a, a kind of a side effect in that the the hash that links all of those blocks that uh the um hash that the miners find is used as part of that so that you know that if you were ever to come back to look at the blockchain, that a certain amount of effectively energy has been expended to get it to that point. And if yeah. anybody wanted to recreate that, they would have to have expended that amount of energy to have got to that point. And that's a huge now amount of energy that means that it's, it'd be very difficult, if not impossible, to kind of get back to that point. That's proof of work. That's how Bitcoin kind of works slightly simplified but as we say it uses a large amount of energy the blocks are every 10 minutes so it means a transaction um you know takes a minimum of 10 minutes and, and it's what's called probabilistic settlement which means um with bitcoin you can you can have two people solve you know this sudoku puzzle at the same time right in different places of the world and if they both solve it at the same time they both think they are the one that gets to um uh choose the block and so they both do. And then all of the other miners see that and build upon the next one. And basically, they keep building until one of them becomes significantly longer than the other one. And it's there's a rule that says the longest chain is the, is the definitive one. And so any chains that are less than that basically get discarded, and you continue along this longest chain. But what it means is there could be a transaction that's on that shorter chain that you kind of thought was valid, but is overwritten by a transaction on longer chain. So you need to wait a certain number of blocks to kind of be sure that it's not going to be effectively reversed. It's not going to be overwritten. Yeah. 
Um, and typically they wait about six blocks uh, for Bitcoin. So it's about an hour. So if I make a deposit to a say an exchange or a wallet or something, then typically it'll take about an hour before that is deemed to have arrived and be final and that transaction is final and can't be reversed, right? Mm -hmm. XRP, the XRP ledger, very different process. Now, Again, we're trying, to solve, we're, we're trying to solve the double spend problem, right? We're trying to solve um, making sure that we can't spend this these values twice. Now, yeah. actually, that problem becomes a lot easier if you can all, if everybody on the network can agree the order in which the transactions came in. Because if we say that that first 20 pounds I spent you, always comes before the second 20 pounds. And you can easily say the second 20 pounds is is in is invalid. You've already spent that 20 pounds, right? That then solves the, the, the double spend problem. Remember, if you think in the real world, if you could if you could simultaneously take your debit card and go to two shops and spend it at exactly the same time, you know, which which transaction would go through first. And it's only by the fact that there's a central database that you know that the first one spent the hundred pounds that you had in your bank account. So the second one must fail because you've no longer got a hundred pounds in your account. You're now down to zero, right? But if you haven't got that central point, how do you determine which transaction went through first? All right, which is the valid transaction? So the idea with the XRP ledger, the kind of the, the revolution is actually really, really simple, de deceptively simple that some people don't, you know, they, they think it doesn't work because it is so simple. And the simple thing is that if you can just all agree the order, then that's the problem solved, right? The first transaction that goes through is valid. The second one, therefore, must be invalid if you've no longer got any balance left. Does that mean there's a quorum process or is it more exactly. like a cockroach DB time series sort of it's, approach? It's, a, it's effectively a quorum process. So, so how do you all oh. agree on the order? So what happens is... Um, within the network of all of the nodes, so there's, say, a 1,000 nodes on the network worldwide, um, each node chooses a subset of the nodes called validators that they effectively use as a kind of a, a jury panel in a, in, a, in a way, right? And the nodes on that panel basically come to an agreement with themselves on the order the transactions happened in. And they have what's called an avalanche consensus protocol. So they all... They, they, they kind of come up with a uh, an idea of the ordering and they all kind of compare to their neighbors and go, okay, well, everybody else near me thinks it's 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 actually, they happened A, B, C, D. I think they happen A, D, C, B. So I'm going to switch to what they say. And you basically you have these several rounds which everybody kind of looks at their neighbors and goes, well, which is the most popular? I'm going to switch to that until eventually you, you get everybody on the same page, right? Or, or at least a lovely cap theorem problem. 80% of them. A, a lovely what problem? Cap theorem problem. Yeah. But the, I mean, the, the thing being is you, you once you've kind of all agreed the order, um, uh, then effectively the double spend problem goes away. Mm. Right. And, and the beauty of it is actually you don't care what the order is. There's no there's no advantage to kind of gaming the system because you don't care what the order is. You just need it to be consistent. Right. If you imagine you and a, a group of friends are going out for dinner and you're wandering around, you, you've just come out of the pub, you're all a bit you're all a bit pissed and, and you, you just want you, you want something to eat. Right. And there's there's 10 of you in this group of mates and you want to go and get something to eat. You don't necessarily care what it is. You, you already you know, you're, you're a few pints down. You don't really care what it is. You just want nutrition. But you all want to be together. So, you know, half of you says, let's go to Pizza Hut. and The other half says, let's go to McDonald's. Right. Um, 
and and you you kind of banter between yourselves until eventually you come up with a, a, an agreement. Say, okay, well, let's all go to McDonald's, right? We don't really care which we go to. We just all want to go together, right? And that's sort of the the, the process that happens with the with the XRP ledger. Um, and they once you agree on that order, then basically the rest of the problem goes away. The one thing that you don't have is you don't have the ability to reward people for doing that process like you do with 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 bitcoin so there's no way to distribute the funds that's why all of the xrp was generated at the start whereas mm. with bitcoin the miners are rewarded for doing the mining by given effectively new bitcoin and there's a release schedule of bitcoin that happens over time for, for doing that okay Did hmm. that make sense it does <laughs> it's it does it's just um it's a very different, like, so all everybody who's aware of crypto is aware of how uh, Bitcoin works. So it's just a very different way of looking at it. Yeah. And for me, from my database brain, it's going, all right, core methodology on thousands of nodes. Oh, but that you yeah. explain that. You don't need it. You don't need thousands. You, you, you all agree on, you all basically, you, you agree on a subset. Of, of the thousands of nodes. So there might be, say, well, how do you then homogenize across the entire ledger? Because even if it's a subset, you don't have to homogenize and then homogenize. Okay, so you, you need to have an overlap, a minimum overlap between what everybody, who everybody chooses to use as this, this subset, right? Mm. But the good news being is there's, there's kind of no, there's no incentive to be malicious on this. Oh, thing I don't see because you it's don't more gain, data method that i'm worried i'm not worried about the people like the like this the currency as it is it's not worth billions and billions it's it's not elon musk money well i mean xrp could well be i mean there's a hundred oh, million well units there and they're worth a you know a dollar each at the moment right so there's 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 a hundred billion dollars worth of currency in there plus there's there's other other currencies represented besides xrp on the xrp ledger there's actually dollars and, and euros and all sorts of things represented on there as well so there is a lot of value there um, yeah, but I mean, to the to maliciously go in and monkey around with the data, the it would be spotted before it would be of value to the individual monkeying around with the information. Yeah, and 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 also it doesn't. Okay, so again, you and your mates are stood there. You're trying to decide whether to go to Pizza Hut or whether to go to McDonald's. Yeah, some other random person, the the malicious attacker, comes along and starts yelling at you, in instead to to um, go to Bob's Kebab Shack, right? Um, now, you can choose to listen or you can choose to ignore, right? Now, all you want to do is all eat together. So you can just say, well, we're just going to ignore Bob's Kebab Shack because we don't care about that. We just all want to eat together. And mm. that's that's kind of the analogy with, with the XRP ledger. If, you've, if a malicious node, all a malicious node could do is try to disrupt coming to a consensus in the order of transactions. Because yeah. you just want consensus. You don't care what the order is. You just want consensus on the order. There's actually no benefit for somebody to 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 say it's one particular order or another. So the only thing a malicious node could do would be to just be indecisive enough that you can't reach quorum uh, on, on, on a consensus. And yeah. then the simple answer to that is, well, you just ignore them. Huh. Right. You know, you just just don't listen to them. If, if they keep if they keep voting against the majority consensus, then you can just ignore them. Right. And until That's, you have majority consensus. OK, so the conflict resolution model for making the data homogenous across as much of the ledger as possible is ignore the conflict 
which is uh, of the least value, the one that doesn't agree with the vast majority of the data. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's such yeah, it, a really simple way of doing it. It, it it's deceptively simple, and 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 a lot Confident of people resolutions that, is usually a pain in the butt. Yeah, and a lot of people think, well, how could this be secure? Um, because it's it's um, it's so simple. They 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 think, oh well, that's fine. I can just spin up a thousand nodes, and they they can then you know outvote you. Now, the thing being is that you choose who you're listening to, right? If you're stood there with your mates and you want to decide where to go, then you're going to listen to your mates. If a thousand, you know, football fans come wandering past out of the stadium and start yelling Bob's kebab shack at you, you'll probably just ignore them because you just want to go where your mates go, right? Yeah. Or worst case scenario is all, all of you go to Bob's kebab shack. Well, so what? You've, you, you've still fulfilled your goal of eating together, yeah. right? You So... The only thing, the only thing a, a, a disruptive group could do is have half that group shouting Pizza Hut and half shouting McDonald's, such that you can't come to you know so much noise you can't come to a conclusion which to go to. The answer is you just ignore them. You know your mates. Let's listen to your mates. You come to a con you know consensus, and that's where you go. Okay. Hmm. All right, I'm going to bring up the conversation from yesterday. So uh, <laughs> me and Matt had a wee conversation yesterday to double check about today and because I'm going to be dragging him into another idea later on, which I'm also going to be touching on as well. So we, uh, well, you've pointed out before that you got into JavaScript and Node.js because of um, that's the library that was available yep. to script out and build bots to interact with the ledger. Yeah. Now... I checked into the uh, Ripple X Dev stream um, earlier this week, which is really interesting. Um, you. Your colleague, I've now forgotten her name again. Mayuka. Thank you. Did a yeah. really, really good job for her first time going live. So yeah. uh, congratulations yeah. to her for such a good job. Um, and th But this is what confused me. This is the first time the Python library had come out. Yeah. Now... Uh, I'm going to let you explain a little bit more on the Python library, but the first thing I want to ask about is, okay, we both agreed. JavaScript, it's great for hacking things together. You've got to admit that. Just yeah. gluing stuff together, fantastic. It's kind of kind of really crappy with numbers and high-level <laughs> yeah, mathematics. The sort of thing that when you're working with tiny, tiny fractions of an integer, yeah, at yeah. which point... Blah! Yeah, yeah. Why did the Python one come afterwards? <laughs> what logical reason was JavaScript the first I, one I, for doing? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I. I really don't know. So, uh, my guess would be that JavaScript, being the kind of the de facto standard language for the web, and a lot of um, exchanges, cryptocurrency exchanges, using JavaScript to provide the functions that they do, that a lot of libraries for uh, cryptocurrency stuff were written in JavaScript. So mm. I think that could be why. And the, and the idea is that, I mean, you can run it in the browser or you could run it on the server, right? So you can use the same Ripple library and actually run it entirely within the browser to, to you know, connect to the XRP ledger and display stuff as connecting to the, um, you know, to um, on, on the back end, for example. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, you can do that all uh, entirely client-side. So I think that's probably why, but I totally agree with you. JavaScript is horrific for numbers. 
Um, and actually, to be honest with you, whilst Python is generally better, I mean, floating point numbers are are a pain in any programming language, right? Because the the, the the IEEE standard for floating point numbers means that if you you know if you add 0.2 and 0.1 together, you don't get 0.3. You get 0.3000004, right? Um, it's it, there's a rounding that that naturally happens with floating point numbers. So, in in actual fact, even within the Python library, we represent most things not as floating point numbers, but we we represent them either as as strings or strings of a thing called drops. Now, drops are a millionth of an XRP. So with Bitcoin, you have Bitcoin, you have Satoshi, and there's 100 million Satoshi per Bitcoin. Uh, with XRP, you have um, XRP in drops, and there's a million drops per XRP. And so we, what we actually do is we represent most of the numbers as drops, so we can represent them as an integer, and we don't then need a um, you know float, floating point. But still, oh, I think we represent them as strings of integers as well, because when you're sending it via things like uh, JSON and things like that, then you, you start to things start to go a bit weird. So yeah, uh, when it suddenly starts dropping zeros because oh this isn't a full integer oh it, 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 exactly you start losing precision and things like that that can happen yeah oh lordy okay that makes sense um, now uh, your uh, oh my god it's Manuka Manuka Mayuka 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 yeah. um, she started off the demo going through setting up uh, the test infrastructure and actually yeah. creating a test wallet with. Uh, Coins. Yep. Now that was oddly named the faucet. I'm wondering if you know why the naming convention for that. Uh, cryptocurrency things they've 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 always been called a, a faucet. So a faucet for 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 UK viewers, the faucet is the US name for a tap, right? And the idea is that you turn on the tap and out comes water. You turn on the faucet, out comes water. In this case, um, it's somewhere you can turn it on and you get cryptocurrency that comes out, right? Turn it on, magical so, monies appear. It, it, exactly. Um, um, magical, magical money, and so the the test net. You have this this test network, which is a, an entirely operational parallel network. Uh, but anybody can go on there and just generate a wallet and um, basically create, get given a bunch of XRP to to use on that. But it's it's completely parallel to the main network, and so has the XRP on there has you know no real world um, value. You know, it's, it's monopoly money. Right. That's what I was curious about. Was, was the actual test net, is that a scale down? Because obviously it's not going to be running at the same scale as the actual one because it doesn't need that yeah. level of redundancy. But um, is it a actual one-to-one -one clone functionally of yeah. the live currency network? It is, yeah. There's there's the test net and there's also then a thing called dev net. And so if you think of testnet as kind of the staging one and and mm -hmm. and um, devnet as you know your your develop branch effectively, right? Um, so so testnet uh, almost exactly replicates production in terms of the features that are there and the functionality that's there. The XRP ledger has a a process called amendments in which changes to the protocol and functionality can be voted on by the um, the validators on the network to to, to bring about improvements and enhancements and sort of evolution of the network mm -hmm. and uh so uh testnet uh tries to stay as close as possible to the live network the production network in terms of which um amendments have been you know ratified and and, and which are running on the network so it, it closely repre represents it whereas the devnet 
um, might have more experimental ones that have been enabled ahead of time to, to play around with. Okay. Oh, that's a good question. Ooh. So Ripple is the company uh, that oversees XRP from a as a well as a company. Um, right. And you've just said there's validators. Does that mean there's a governance model like like most open source software behind all this? Yes, but it's a decentralized governance model. So Ripple themselves do not. They, whilst they are a large participant of the network and, and of the development, and they they you know employ developers that do the lion's share of the development of the of of code on the XRP ledger, they don't control it, and they don't have authority over it. And what's actually happened is, I mentioned these. There's this amendment process in which what happens is if you um, have an enhancement or a change, whatever you want to make that materially affects the network, then you have to basically float it as an amendment on the network, propose it as an amendment on the network. It has to be voted on by the validators. You have to get 80% uh, approval for two weeks before it is ratified to, to go live. And then once that happens, then you know it, it is then adopted by the network as a whole. Now, Ripple only have a minority vote on that in that process, right? They only have a small vote, yeah, because it's it's a decentralized network. There's loads of other contributors and, and participants in the network. So what's actually happened in the past is um, Ripple have actually voted no on an amendment, and the rest of the community has voted yes, and Ripple have been outvoted. They genuinely do not control the network, right? Um which, which is an interesting position that I'm in as, as, as head of DevRel and you know interfacing with people like the product team within Ripple because the product team within Ripple might say, hey, we're going to create this new feature. Now, if you're the product team of, of Elastic or, or you know something like that, uh, Mongo, and you say, right, well, we're going to create this new feature. Well, you create that new feature, and that's the feature that now comes out in version 4.2 of your software, right? Or yeah. you know the next version, and you do a big release party, and you say, hey, look, version 4.2 has come out. And we now have this new feature. Well, well, Ripple can't really do that because any new features have to be voted on by the community to go live, and could be vetoed, right? So. That's the a lot of like team putting in engineering sure and then getting the what they're doing. Oof. So they could go yeah. ahead and say, "Hey, look, we've got this new feature." Da 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 da. And the community could turn around and go, "Nope, nope, we're not, we're not accepting it." Right. So it's it's an interesting position to to be in. It's, it's it really is a symbiotic relationship. Ripple don't have control um, in the same way that a, a say a, a enterprise database company might have over over a database, for example. Yeah, I just I just can't imagine being a uh, head of product and going, right, here's three months worth of work flushed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. indeed. So, you know, but the only way to avoid that scenario is to try and ensure that you're building what the community wants. Right. And that that is what keeps everything, you know, for want of a better word, honest. Right. It's what keeps keeps everything in the interests of the community in that if the community don't want that feature, the community will not accept that feature. And like you say, you've then three months worth of dev work's just been flushed, right? Um, so that's, that's you know, that is the reality of the process. That means your job is really key here because you've got to keep uh, a constant level of communication and openness between everybody. 
Exactly, exactly. So that's kind of my role is as as you know leading the DevRel community, you know, side of things is to is to work with the developers because a lot of those developers are the ones that are also running the nodes. Um, and 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 say to them, you know, look, what you know, ask them, what is it that you want? Um, what is going to, you know, make your lives easier? What are we going to do? So I mean, some certain things are all you know to do with client libraries and tooling, and that's that's all fine, right? But for yeah. the actual core protocol, the actual core network, then we have to have, you know, agreement uh, with with the community. Otherwise, it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen. Okay, that makes sense. But it it, 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 also, it just feels like. That is beautiful from an open source standards point of view, but also like, oh, oof. yeah, and it's and it's a common misconception. A lot of people think that Ripple control everything, right? Because because, mm. uh, like I said, there's been, you know, naming um, uh, <laughs> names have changed in the past. So so Ripple, the company, was originally called OpenCoin. They then changed to Ripple Labs. The network used to be called Ripple. Then they changed that effectively to the XRP Ledger. Um, and you know XRP, the currency was previously been called Ripples or Ripple Credits. So some exchanges called it Ripple. And so you, you can forgive people for having some confusion between the company and the and the and, yeah. the and the thing. In the same way that, like I said, you might confuse the difference between Elastic, the company, and Elastic, the the you know Elasticsearch, the the product. Um, but uh, yeah, it's so there's some some steps in the past that maybe if we had a time machine and, and gone back i think maybe could have made different naming decisions there that would have uh, um changing i mean ironically the name ripple in it comes actually before bitcoin there was a project called ripple pay that started in 2004 by a uh canadian developer called ryan fuga that um was a peer-to-peer -peer credit network and that was before bitcoin even existed and it was the ideas of that peer-to-peer -peer credit network that kind of um, form the basis of the decentralized exchange that's built in the XRP ledger. So the XRP ledger has some cool features where I can create an issue, my own coin, um, my, myself, as can you, right? So we can create a MAT token and we can create a MIC token and we can mm -hmm. exchange them on a public exchange on the, on, on the, on the ledger. And you know there will be a exchange rate that will be determined by the market as to how much is a Mac coin worth, how much is a Mike coin worth, um, and we can we can exchange them. And what's really cool is I can make a payment and I could say I want to pay uh, Mike one hundred Mike coins, but I'm going to fund this transaction with Matt coins. And as the payment goes through, it will look on the decentralized exchange find somebody willing to buy and sell them, swap, make the trade and deliver to you in the currency that you wanted, right? Good, good Lord. So it's actually not doing a one-to-one -one transaction. It's doing a many to, well, one to many transaction, well, chained transactions. Chained transactions, exactly. So, you know, you like I said, you could represent anything on the XRP ledger, right? So yeah. originally it was intended to represent euros or dollars or yen or whatever, you know, fiat currencies. On the XRP ledger, um, but it could represent shoes or bananas or coffee or or whatever, right? And so you can actually have a transaction that's like, okay, I want to buy a pair of shoes from Mike, and mm. I want to pay in coffee, and so I'm going to send whatever five kilos of coffee to pay for those shoes, and the network might look in and go, okay, well we've got no nothing on our order books that goes from coffee to shoes but we've got coffee to xrp or we've got xrp to shoes 
So we're going to actually go from one to another to another in a single tr atomic transaction. It basically pathfinds across the order books and comes out. So it might be that the, the it might be that the payment goes coffee to strawberries to oil to Bitcoin to XRP to shoes, right? To get to you. I love the fact that um, it's just like this is like barter trading across the Nile. Exactly, it is. It's very much like barter trading. It's a bit like um, uh, there's a there's a, a, a service called Hawalas, um, and it's a bit like bit like that kind of thing. But yeah, barter trading exactly. And so you can represent anything on the XRP ledger and trade it with, with anybody. And, and that's that's kind of this a feature that unfortunately not not I don't think enough people are using. Um, but there's some really cool things you could do. Somebody created something that you could represent your time on it. And so it's like one hour of mowing your lawn could be traded for X number of hours of cooking or something, right? Um, and uh, you you would determine the rate based on on the marketplace, right? So you can, um, you know, you people can buy and sell and trade um, hours of something, right? You know, I, I could buy an hour's worth of lawn mowing, even if I don't have a lawn mower, and sell it again to somebody else. Right, <laughs> you know, I could buy effectively like almost like futures contracts of something, and buy and sell um, all these different things on on the XRP ledger. So it, it's it's pretty advanced. It's pretty cool. The kind of things that you could build on it. Okay, we're definitely going to be taking advantage of that uh, whilst uh, building stuff for the mud. Then. Shall oh yeah, 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 exactly. Um, okay, now this is the the fun question I wanted to ask because I want to end on a uh, on a topic that I actually really like. Now. The fun topic is actually a good representation. So you've been in and around Ripple for four years. You've been an active part of the community. You're currently a leader in the community by being the head of DevRel for Ripple. What's some of the worst things you've seen people do to the XRP ledger? As in like uh, the ones you're allowed to talk about, of course, like the really bad processes, how people have taken the idea and done something stupid? Um, so the XRP ledger, one of the things with the XRP ledger is with something like with Bitcoin, for example, mm -hmm. each block contains um, a list of the transactions that happened. Mm -hmm. Whereas with in XRP, each block contains the balances as a result of the transactions. So mm -hmm. with Bitcoin, if you want to find out how much money do you have in your wallet, you've got to actually look at all the previous transactions that say, okay, we added two, we moved, we removed one, we added 0.5, we removed 0.2, and and the sum of all of those will be what is your balance, right? Because yeah. it, it you add up all the receipts effectively to get to the balance. With the XRP ledger, in each block, it stores the complete state of everybody's account and what the balance is currently right now. Yeah. So the advantage being is that when you bring a new node onto the network to synchronize, it doesn't have to get the entire history in order to kind of know what the current state is. The current state is always available, so it's much quicker to synchronize. Yeah. One of the downsides with that, engineering trade-offs, one of the downsides of that means that um, any new accounts are, are kind of kept around on each and replicated on each each block right so with bitcoin if nobody made any transactions the blocks would effectively be empty and so effectively take zero storage or close to zero storage minus the header or whatever right but close to zero yeah. storage whereas with the xrp ledger each block would take effectively the same amount because it is the current complete state every single time replicated so there's more replication there's more redundancy there um 
but it means that there's also potential for more bloat. Now, somebody came up with an idea of using the XRP ledger as a, as a chat mechanism and using the memo field in transactions to chat backwards and forwards. Now, that's, yeah. that's fine for doing something on the test net or as an experimental thing. We actually had a hackathon in which some people did that, which was kind of great. But this person wanted to do it kind of in production and was going to create something mm -hmm. in production that would then – and what happens is it then effectively just bloats the ledger and every single node would end up storing that chat history. Um, which you don't necessarily want because it's just a, a, a waste of storage and you know not a particularly good tool for using the job. So there's there's certain things like that 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 people have kind of proposed that um, you know people in the community have, have, have kind of said no, please don't do that just because it's it's not a very efficient usage of of um, you know the storage um, and that sort of things. In terms of blockchains in general, um, well, yeah, our old. Uh, uh, employer IBM were doing a whole bunch of stuff with blockchains and you know being able to track lettuces on the blockchain and coffee and stuff like that and there's there's I can see some value in that in terms of food provenance and safety mm. and all that kind of thing you know I, I think that's great um, I think the big problem being is if you know how do you ensure that the data is you know correct in the first place when it goes on the blockchain Right. Yeah. You know, what's what's to stop me from saying, well, this is counterfeit olive oil or whatever, or, you know, and, and I'm going to just store that on the blockchain rather than the real olive oil. You kind of have to have the checks at the end of the blockchain. So the blockchain in and of itself is not necessarily solving anything potentially that can't be solved in with with in, in, in other means. Um, oh, the same problem as an NFT, essentially. NFTs potentially. NFTs got some interesting cases so there's nfts are fascinating at the moment because there's there's everybody's kind of doing a whole bunch of stuff with nfts and the xrp mm. community are doing stuff with nfts ripple are doing stuff with nfts as well um there was a, a a show i had on a few few weeks ago on the twitch stream where we had some people minting nfts on the xrp ledger um, oh that's quite yeah cool. because i mean I, 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 so the xrp ledger was designed to allow you to tokenize arbitrary assets like i said banana shoes coffee euros yeah. dollars well an nft is just one of them right there's only yeah. one of them, right? If you if you said that we represent dollars, but there's only one dollar ev ever, then that's effectively an NFT, right? It's a non-fungible token. Um, there's, there, you, you take a fungible token and just create one of them. Well, it's effectively non-fungible because there's only, only one of them. So there's, there's a little bit more to it than that, but you can effectively simulate non-fungible tokens with fungible tokens. And there's a, a standard that's been created by the community, um, the XRP community, to represent non-fungible tokens on the XRP ledger. And it doesn't need any change to the code base. Um, it, it all just basically works. Then there's a further step that's going on in which people are looking to say, okay, well, what specific functionality could we add to the XRP ledger to make that a bit easier and make that a bit more performant and not end up bloating everything up so, so much? Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's, there's people working on ideas around that as well to create actual specific NFT support as a first class object within the database rather than reusing other data structures in, in, in the database. But yeah, I mean, the great thing with NFTs is everybody's playing around with them. You know, you, you, you see, okay, so, you know, $70 million piece of artwork goes, um, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. People are kind of doing everything with them, but I think there's value in there. We just don't quite know where it is yet. Right. Um, that sounds and like everything to do with crypto. It's the fact yeah, that it starts yeah, out yeah, being a great idea, idea but well, where's probably, the value? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, you can see. Okay, let, let me explain it to this way. Maybe, maybe we'll start to see it. So, um, banned 
fans, music fans, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you go talking to, I, I, I like that particular band, and your mate goes, oh, yeah, they're great. Their earliest stuff, you know, I was at one of their first gigs, right? So, so your your mate is 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 a is a bigger fan or better fan than you because they were there earlier, right? That's that's the mm -hmm. kind of that's how music works, right? That's how music fandom works. The earlier you discover them, you're you're the, the bigger fan. Or the I knew fan. them before they were cool, right? Exactly, exactly, right? And it's like, okay, you might have um, you know, an, an MP3 or even not even an MP3 nowadays, and an, a, a streaming an entry on a streaming service for that song for you to listen to it. Yeah. And your mate's got the signed vinyl, right? It's the same music, right? It's the same content, but it's in different forms. And the signed vinyl is worth more because it's got provenance, it's got signature on it, it's right, it became early or whatever. Think about that in terms of NFTs, right? Now imagine a band sells some NFTs of their artwork or of their, their music. Yeah. Anybody can still go to Spotify and listen to their music, but you're a super fan, you've got the NFT, the signed NFT from that point in time, right? And your NFT might be numbered number one and mine's numbered number a thousand. So you're the bigger fan than me because yours is earlier on. And you might think, okay, well, great. Well, what does that mean? So now imagine that the band now do a live gig and they say anybody with NFTs numbered under 500 get VIP access. Right. So suddenly there's a business model there in which you can use these non-fungible tokens to add additional value to other other services that might not even yet exist. Right. So you've sold somebody this token that they might be able to redeem in the future. Right. So when you if you've got the NFT, when you buy the album, you get a signed poster or you get backstage access to the gig or whatever it might be. And so an NFT could be a way of representing that in in an independent way that's not tied to say spotify or amazon or whatever it's an independent token that's 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 not reliant upon you still paying your spotify subscription and if you stop then suddenly your your music all vanishes right or whatever right um yeah it's, it's an independent thing that's portable and owned by you cryptographically yeah okay that makes sense that's a better example than the ones i've had um <laughs> However, that does lead me to the final topic, the one that I wanted to ask about, uh, which you probably definitely know which one it's going to be. Um, so we both know um, the Bill Bailey of databases. Yep. Um, and his recent solo project, best way I think I could describe it, of Audiotaki, which is not actually yeah. solo, but yes. Yeah. Um, so this um reintroduced me to the principle of uh web monetization because i know the specification yeah. has actually been around for quite a while yeah but um for me had had zero value uh to actual impl uh, imp implementing anywhere and then talking to metson he showed a real like ah there is value in it and mm. coil and uh, services like that are helping yeah what is your take on monet uh, web monetization and do you think um, things like the XRP ledger are the best way of supporting that? Because I personally think web monetization is great for skipping, uh, not having to have bloaty ad blogs and music and yeah. stuff, and actually, but still providing value back to the people creating the content. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah, exactly. So web monetization is it's a particular standard, and it came. It's now a, a W3C um, draft standard uh, to do with allowing effectively browsers to stream payment over the internet as content is coming down. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> the idea of this is, you know, you're watching a, a, a film or reading a news article or whatever, and the time at which you are spent engaging with that, your browser is literally streaming up you know, a, a thousandth of a, of a penny or a hundredth of a penny or whatever every, every second that you're, you're engaging with it. Yeah. Um, and Audiotarki's project, yeah, Simon uh, Madsen created that uh, for bands that, to allow them to put their music on, and I can't remember the, 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 the exact figure uh, it is, but it's, you know, you, you get a, a quid or two for an hour's worth of, you know, st streaming music to, to the content creator, right? Yeah. So the... The idea of that is twofold or threefold, possibly. One is it's been very difficult to have micropayments online. The reason being is that typically payments are done via credit cards. Credit cards have a minimum payment um, like fee. So if I make a payment with a UK debit card, it's 30 pence um, plus 1%, say, or whatever it is for the transaction fee, which means it's impossible for me to make payments of less than about five pounds um, uh, economically, right? Otherwise, it, yeah. it just, you know the, everything gets eaten up in the fees. So I have to pay for things in sort of five pound chunks, and that means that. So if I go to say the Guardian website and they say, "Do you want to subscribe?" Um, they bring up a sort of a, a nag wall to kind of say, you know, please subscribe and support our journalism. I've got to get up my credit card, type in the numbers, or copy and paste them in from from LastPass, or whatever, and, and and you know buy my subscription there. And then I have to do the same for the New York Times, and then I have to do the same for Spotify, and then I have to do the same for this and that and that, da 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 da. Yeah. Now the idea behind web monetization as a standard is that if your browser can stream payment, then it can do it independently to any of these services, and you don't need an account with them, right? And that can the the, the current way of which like free content is delivered at the moment is via advertising. So. Yeah. If I go to a website and it's free, there's generally adverts there, and basically the advertisers are paying the site owner to put the adverts to sit in front of my eyeballs, right? So that I see that advert and hopefully I go and buy their their product, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Now the problem with that being is that the more the advertiser knows about me, the viewer, the better they can target the adverts. So the more the adverts are worth, right? Yeah. Me just looking at a website, if they know nothing about me, they don't know whether to give me an advert for lawnmowers or crocheting or baby food or whatever, right? Um, now, if they know that I'm based in the UK, I'm 40-something years old, I'm male, I'm this, whatever, they can build a profile about me and say, okay, the chances are he's probably going to be more interested in lawnmowers than crochet needles right or yeah. for a random example so they can make more money the more they know about me and if they can get my browser history and link it to other websites and everything then they can get an even better picture of me because they know okay you've visited this motorcycle website so the chances are you're interested in motorcycles so we're going to give you an advert for a motorcycle and hopefully mm -hmm. buy it right so the more they know about you the more valuable they are which means they've got to track you so there's all this incentive to basically track you and basically evade your 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 privacy and learn as much as they can about you to build the biggest picture to get the most advertising dollars in and web monetization basically completely breaks that down and says okay get rid of all of that instead of being paid by 
by um, advertising, we're going to actually pay by subscription, right? And some people say, but wait a minute, why should I pay for content when it's all free anyway? Well, a lot of people would probably say, I'd be happy to have no adverts for £5 a month. I'd be happy to have no adverts, right? And I, I pay a puppet locker for that exact reason. Exactly, exactly, right? Now, £5 a month, you know, is might seem like, okay, that's not, a, that's not a huge amount of money, and that's something I'd be willing to pay for to have no adverts, but I need it to be transparent, and I need it to go to all of those different websites, and I don't need to have to sign up to each individual one separately. And that's where the web monetization standard comes in. And, and that actually came out of some work. So there's a company called Coil uh, that was started by Stefan Thomas, who is the CTO, used to be the ex-CTO of, he was the ex-CTO of Ripple. Um, he was also uh, an early Bitcoin developer again. He uh, created the Bitcoin JavaScript library, Bitcoin JS. Um, he created one of the first uh, What is Bitcoin videos that, that sort of introduced a lot of people to Bitcoin um, a, a decade ago. And he joined Ripple, um, was the CTO of Ripple uh, for a while, left Ripple, started Coil, and this idea of web monetization. Now, web monetization under the hood uses a standard called Interledger. Again, mm -hmm. Interledger also spun out of Ripple as well. There's a lot of connections here. Um, <laughs> Interledger is an independent protocol to, to, to move value between blockchains so that you can send something from Bitcoin to somebody on Ethereum, right? And Interledger is a way of interfacing between those things. Now, where it's used mostly at the moment is for services that want to have a kind of blockchain agnostic way of accepting payments. And mm. so that's what web monetization uses. So the idea behind web monetization is your browser can send payments and they can turn up at the other end in Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, whatever the user wants. All they have to do is specify um, uh, the, the the payment what's called the payment pointer, and it will deliver deliver, it. and you'll have effectively routers on the way that will exchange the currency as it traverses this network of nodes to get to the end destination. Right um, now, XRP happens to be what's used most in the interledger network and, and with Coil because it is so fast and so cheap to transact. Mm -hmm. So if you were using something like Bitcoin or Ethereum and the fees are so high that it just wouldn't, it just wouldn't work, right? Um, Lightning Network on Bitcoin, kind of a similar approach and, and, and does try to make things a bit, uh, a bit faster and, and, and cheaper, but it's still, you know, there's still a lot of rough edges around that. Um, but that's why XRP is used a lot in this um, sort of scenario because it is so cheap and so fast to transact on there. Okay. That makes complete sense because well, the conversation earlier with like the fact that it naturally flows through the ledger when trans uh, translating between the different books for uh, it's coffee to banana to shoe to yeah, yeah. exactly okay, and what's um, um, but what's interesting as well with say with say coil and with with all of this is so audio talkie you go to audio talkie and it says if you want to support your artist you know subscribe via coil you go to coil and you give them your credit card and mm -hmm. pay a five pound a month subscription. And they will then pay via the web monetization on your behalf. The mm -hmm. artist at the other end, they configure their what's called payment pointer, which points to their cryptocurrency wallet. Mm -hmm. But they can have a payment pointer for different currencies. So they can have a payment pointer for, say, euros or pounds sterling. So what happens is that the payment starts, goes from my subscription in US dollars through the network ends up in your wallet and pound sterling as, as the content creator. 
but along the route went through XRP um, because that's the, the 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 cheapest way to convey that value. But then at the other at the final endpoint, it's converted to the currency that you want. But what's great about it is you have all of these people doing this, and nobody even knows that there's cryptocurrencies in the back end. Right? If they go to Audiotarchy, they would have no knowledge that it uses any of this weird magic internet money um, or blockchain or anything. All they know is that they go in, they put in their credit card to this company called Coil. They have a subscription. Now they can use Audiotarchy without Simon's robotic voice coming on, um, you know, uh, in, in interrupting you with adverts kind of thing. Um, I'd pay for one of those ads, to be fair. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so, yeah, so they, they've got no idea that there's anything happening cryptocurrency-wise. What's interesting is there's the the, the um, initiative that funded AudioTarket, I think, called Grant for the Web, funded yeah. about 100 projects all around web monetization. And if you look through them, not a single one of them mentions XRP. Because as far as the people developing concerned, they don't even they don't even realize, they don't even know that there's XRP mm. being used in the back end. Uh, and that's one of the interesting things is that XRP is potentially almost a victim of its own success in that regards, in that if it is in if it's completely successful in doing what it needs to do, which is to allow information to flow as easily or, or money to flow as easily as information, then you don't even know how it's being transacted. Mm. Right. It's completely transparent. So you don't even know that XRP is being used in the same way that I don't know how the data that is traveling between my screen, my webcam and your screen and your webcam and my screen. I don't know whether that's going over Virgin or BT or whether it's copper or fiber or a satellite link or a microwave tower or, you know, IP over pigeon or whatever. Right. It's, it, it, it's getting between us and I don't care. And that's the same thing that's happening with with web monetization is that you don't really care. It's just the value is being, you know, transacted automatically. And if it's as if it reaches its goal of of doing that, you won't even know that it's XRP underneath. Which again, so slightly makes my job a little harder in that regards because people say, "Well, what's XRP being used for?" And I say, "Well, look at all these projects." They go, "It doesn't say anything about XRP. They're not using XRP." It's like, "Well, yeah, they are," you know, but you just don't necessarily know it because it's it's at the lower levels. Oh, does that mean you, that eventually you're going to be able to draw a direct comparison between the XRP ledger and say DNS? Nobody talks about it. Everybody knows it's used, and it is yep. this thing that glues everything together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it, 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 that's a great thing when you know it's become that like ingrained, but people just accept it for being there. Yeah, you know, it, it's like there, there's a company out there somewhere that manufactures. I don't know, water pumps that enable water to come out of my tap when I turn it on in my bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that company has value, you know, shareholder value. That company generates revenue from selling, you know, pumps or equipment or pipes or whatever it is to, to do water. But I don't, I don't even know that. But they have value. They, they're generating value there, even if I'm not aware of it. And it's kind of a similar thing to, I, I think, what's going to be happening with, with, with XRP and with, you know, um, possibly cryptocurrencies in general that um people will start using them and yes they add value and generate value even if you're not aware you're explicitly using them okay um right we're nearly at to an hour and a half of bloody heck i've kept you around for a long yeah. while um, right. is there anything else you'd like to point out before i go through the outro stuff uh no i don't think so i think uh yeah like you say we've we've we've, we've covered a lot here i think um uh, we, we definitely also went tangential but uh from the <laughs> list of stuff that's up there one might even say off topic well no hey. I think we stayed on, on, yeah maybe uh, yeah 
Oh, it's a little bit of off topic. Off the topics we listed, it was still on the rough topic of crypto and yeah, yeah. development around it, which I'm not going to lie. I knew a little bit about, I feel a lot more educated and I'm very grateful for you uh, talking us all through it. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Uh, so I believe I'm going to drop this into the chat. This is the best way of getting a hold of you in general, isn't it? Yep. Your Twitter, which is Hamato. Yeah. Uh, don't understand that, especially when somebody then decided to put into Twitter earlier a picture of a toe. When I said <laughs> so, you were. So Hamato came around. I'll, I'll tell you about this, a little off topic bit. So Hamato is a phonetic corruption of my surname Hamilton. And so, okay, so what happened was I used to work um, in uh, about 1995, 1994. I worked for a small ISP in Albany, New York. And uh, I used to do tech support for them. That's what originally got me into kind of Unix and, and, and stuff like that, doing tech support for this, this ISP. Used to have, you know, big banks of physical modems with cables all plugged in and, um, you know, people dialing up 2,400 board modems and stuff. Anyway, um, my username was M Hamilton. And then, and, but that's nine characters. And we used an operating system called BSDI, which is a derivative of, of, of uh, BSD. And they kind of upgraded to some brand new Sonos 4 boxes, some um, Spark Station 20s, which were like top of the range at the time, um, you know, $20,000, $30,000 servers. And uh, the they only supported eight character usernames. So everybody's usernames got truncated to eight characters. So my M. Hamilton became M. Hamilto. And when I used to walk in in the morning, the, the guy I worked with there was like, ah, it's Mr. Hamato. Um, and it kind of stuck and became Mr. Hamato. And then so I just, my username originally was, uh, this was on IRC, was Hamato. And strangely enough, it's not taken on any social media networks. I wonder why. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I went for it. And every, everybody's like, so so is there something up with your feet? <laughs> it's like, nope, nope, nothing to do with that at all. It's just a phonetic corruption of my, my, my surname. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure everybody knows how to Google for Ripple and Ripple Dev to actually look them up. Yeah. Uh, that This is the Python library that was released very recently and you went through earlier this week. Yeah. Um, so if you are a Python dev, you can now monkey around with, uh, well, using the faucet, now that yeah. I know that that is a thing, uh, to actually build your own applications that interact with the ledger. Yep. And on the topic of that, this is the Twitch channel. Do you, uh, you, is it every Tuesday you do this? Um, yep. 11 a.m. Pacific time, which is 7 p.m. 7 p.m. UK GMT. time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's oh, BST at the moment. 7 p.m. Oh, BST. BST. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 1800 UTC. Uh, so that's, yeah, every Tuesday. And I get on various people from in and around the XRP ecosystem um, to come on and, and talk about what they're building, right? So it's a technical orientated talk um, session and we kind of get into code, sometimes do some live coding, um, see what's up. Last week, yes, we had um, Mayuka doing a fantastic demo of the um, uh, Python library. Um, before then had Simon Metzen talk about audio Taki. Before that we had the JavaScript library. Um, so yes, I'm not sure. I've, I, I, I won't say what's coming up on Tuesday because I'm not sure, sure they're um, confirmed yet. Uh, but it might be in relation to XRP and Ethereum um, uh, working together. So nice. Yep. So if you're trying to find this, it would be uh, Twitch.tv/RippleXDev, and we've given the time there already. So uh, you should definitely go check it out. I uh, checked it. It was actually really fun. 
And I'm even going to try and convince Matt into letting me go on later for building some random crap on the mud, which uh, I'm actually looking forward to dragging you into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. Uh, I, I, I always like learning by building things that are fun that actually have a purpose, though. It's yeah. always more fun to do that. Building games are always more fun than building a to-do list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, thank you very much for joining me, Matt. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And um, I will drop you into the back screen and talk to you in a moment. Yeah, great. Well, thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks very much. And I only have uh, one more thing that I need to share with everybody. And that's from my fusion-y stuff that I have to do. And that is the fact, I'm just going to double check that I've got all the details correct. That would be a yes. Um, there are still spaces for the pure JavaScript web components uh, workshop in April 27th, 28th. Uh, details are at Eventbrite. If you want to get some more details, go to thefusionhub.co.uk. And that is that. So uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. It's been uh, really, really great. As uh, always, I have learned stuff and my head hurts just a little bit because that's a lot of information and a lot of analogies and a lot of stuff to process. So uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And I will see you all in the next one.